what we are to see here is their success in being sent out was simply their faithfulness. will not receive you and they will not listen to you. When you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So here Jesus now gives them instructions. He's given, given them instructions about what not to take, instructions about how to act. And now he gives them instructions about how to react, specifically to react to rejection. So the reason we said last week that Jesus goes to Nazareth is quite possibly so that the apostles and the disciples will see him be rejected to prepare them for the rejection that they will receive. So this sending out, this initial sending out, we shouldn't understand this as just this big, great, grand, successful tour in which the disciples went out two by two and just like... Uh, who was the guy? St. Patrick who led the snakes out of Ireland and all they come back to, the, to Jesus and his uh, apostles there leading this great big gang of people that's now believed upon the teachings that they've now taught. We shouldn't understand this as this great big huge grand success. Instead, we should understand this as a success in faithfulness. They did what Jesus sent them out to do. They were faithful in doing that. But in their faithfulness, they experienced not a little rejection, but they experienced much rejection. And Jesus says to them, this is what you're to do when they do not receive you and when they do not listen to you. And I got to believe that in their mind, when Jesus said that, they're thinking, and probably Peter said this, you know, they're, they're probably thinking kind of like what just happened to you at Nazareth. And Jesus probably said exactly just like that. When what happens to you, just like what you just saw happen to me in Nazareth, here's what you're to do. You are to, and here again, once again, they will not listen to you, we're told, when they won't listen to you. So again, this repeated theme on hearing the Word of God, it's been a theme of Mark from the beginning. The emphasis, the focus upon hearing the Word. So when they will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, so there Jesus gave them permission to leave. In other words, Jesus doesn't say to them, stay there, keep beating the same old dead horse until they do listen to you. That's not what Jesus told them to do. When they don't receive you and when they don't listen to you, Jesus says, first of all, when you leave, meaning you're the, you're the scatter of the seed. And what does the scatter of the seed do? He scatters the seed. He scatters the seed in faith, in anticipation. But then once he scatters the seed, he rests. Because after that point, it's out of his hands. So they are to be seed scatterers, just like Jesus told in the parable. And after scattering the seed faithfully and diligently, they are then to rest. And if Jesus, Jesus says, if they reject you, then you leave. You don't stay there just browbeating them to a point at which they will eventually say, okay, okay, just to get you to shut up, we'll believe. Jesus says, when they refuse, then as you leave, here's how you are to leave. You are to leave shaking the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So this shaking the dust off their feet as a testimony against them is one of the, I think probably the most misunderstood 
uh, sections of Scripture, or phrases in Scripture that we come across. It, it, we find it a number of times. We find it in the Old Testament. Nehemiah, for example. We find it in the New Testament. We find Paul doing it in, doing it in Acts uh, more than once. We find it in the Gospels. We find it frequently in the New Testament, this habit or this practice of shaking the dust off of your sandals, or sometimes it's shaking the dust out of your garments. But it's the same principle, the same sort of thing. And so oftentimes we hear this and we think that what's being done here is this act, so to speak, of acting out one's disgust and I'm just done. I'm washing the old dirt of this old town off my feet and I'm done with you. Because that's sometimes the context that it seems to come to us in. For example, as Paul goes to, um, and Paul's in Antioch, and the Jews there in Antioch are so virulently opposed to him and they're so aggressively opposed to him that Paul eventually says, I shake the dust of my sandals off at you and he goes to Iconium. And so to us, it sounds like Paul is saying, I'm just done. I've had it. I've told you. I've taught. I've taught. and I've preached. I've, I've explained and I've explained and you still won't listen. I'm done. But that is the furthest thing from what this actually is saying to us, this shaking the dust off your sandals. Because what this is pointing us to is a practice of the Jewish people, a habit of the Jewish people that contains some spiritual meaning for them. What the practice was, was this. The Jews from time to time would leave the land of promise, the the land of Israel, to travel to other places, maybe through Samaria or through other places. They would leave the land of promise. And then when they would return back into the land of promise, then, of course, they are returning back into the land of God, God's land, God's place. Now, all of the earth is God's, but there's this special place called Israel. And as they re-entered Israel, then there was this thought process that, that they were to keep Israel clean from the defilement of the Gentiles, from the defilement of the unclean peoples. And they weren't to bring back into Israel those defiling things from outside of Israel. And so they would literally do this. They would take their sandals off as they were about to re-enter the land and shake off the dust as if to say, this is unclean Gentile dust and I don't want to bring it into our clean Israel dust. It was just a symbolic way of saying, here's what he was saying, this is God's, that's not. This is God's special place, that's not. It was a way of, of drawing a border of drawing a demarcation, a line of demarcation to say, this is God's special anointed place and His special anointed people, and that's not. And so the demonstration of shaking off, either shaking the dust out of your garments or shaking the dust off your sandals was a demonstration of saying that. And so what Jesus' instruction to them is, is basically this. When they refuse to listen to you and they refuse to receive you, You are to engage in this act, this prophetic act that is a visible demonstration that is saying, this is God's people, this is not God's people. Now, can you imagine the effect of that? Can you imagine the effect of a Jewish, a pair of Jewish men going to a Jewish village and teaching about a Jewish Messiah? And the people not receiving and not believing that. And then them going about this act as if to say, you are not Jews. You are not Israel. But that's precisely what Jesus is instructing them to do. To shake the dust off their feet. Meaning, 
when you leave that village, you leave having made it clear what they just refused. You do not leave with any sort of muddy waters. You don't leave with any sort of vagueness or any nebulousness about what you have said. Because what you have said to them is this is the way of life. And if you reject this, then you have chosen the way of death. Now, the application for this is quite plain and quite clear, is it not? Because God would have us to go about our task of scattering seed in the same way. In the way that says, we too, as God's seed scatterers, are commanded to take the seed to the world in such a way that clearly says to them, we're not offering you just another way of thinking. We're not offering to you another option. We're not suggesting to you that you try this and see how it works for you. This works for us. This whole belief system that we've got, you know, we've got it worked out pretty well and it really works for us and we find it fulfilling and we find it uh, just satisfying. And why don't you try it? See what you think. Instead, as the scatterers of the seed, we are to scatter the seed in such a way that leaves no doubt. This is the way of life. And to reject this, you are choosing the way of death. This, this is no take it or leave it. This is no, this is my opinion. You know, we sort of think this way. This is how we interpret the Bible. This is how we understand that man gets to God. And, you know, there may be others. And if something else works for you, you know, uh, if not, then try this and see what you think. This is not at all how Jesus sends them out. He sends them out under the command to clearly and plainly declare He is the way He is the truth. He is the life. And there is no other way unto the Father. This is not anything about what you just have to figure out your own experience. You got to figure out your own reality. You got to figure out your own truth. Everybody's on their own journey. Here's our journey. Come and join us if you want. Instead, we are told in the face of all the modern day political incorrectness that would be thrown into our face, we are told This is how the seed is scattered in such a way that plainly says to the soil, this is the only way and everything else is the way of eternal death. Do you know, I'm I'm about to say something very politically incorrect. Do you know that nowhere in all the scriptures are we ever told to respect other people's beliefs? That sounds very provocative, doesn't it? Find it in the Scriptures where the Scriptures tell us to respect other people's beliefs. We are to respect people. We are to love people because they're created in the image of God. We are never told to respect false beliefs. In fact, we're told the opposite. Galatians 1 and verse 8, Paul says, If anybody comes to you preaching another gospel, let them be accursed. 1 Corinthians 16, 22, Paul says, If anyone does not have love in their heart for Jesus Christ, let them be, same word, accursed. God never asks His people, be respecter of, be a respecter of false beliefs. He says, be a lover of people, be a respecter of people, but be one who calls out false beliefs because you love the God of true belief 
and you love the person who's enslaved in false belief. And so this shaking out of the sandals, this is a dramatic first century way of of the same command that we have today, which is the command to not present to the world. There's, There's multiple options of this whole thing. There's multiple ways to think about life after death. And there, you know, there's different ways to think about it. There's different ways to understand the Scripture. Instead, we are told that we are to go about the scattering of the seed in such a way that's clear and plain. Now, that's not the same thing as saying that we as believers are in favor of coerced belief. We're not. We are not in favor of a state or a government or any sort of entity coercing faith or coercing belief. That, that has been tried many times before. It's still being tried in, in Muslim nations. And we as believers are not in favor of that. We are not in favor of any type of forced or coerced, coerced belief. All true faith must be faith that is given by the believer, not something that the state forces upon you. But at the same time, we also are to be people who are plain and who are clear There is one way of life. There are not many. There's not two. There's one. And his name is Jesus Christ. And there's found, there's life found only in the conscious acceptance of his name and faith that is purposely and intentionally placed in his name. And that is the only place that life is found. So here we see once again, any place that will not receive you, they will not listen to you. When you leave, shake the dust off your feet. Mark's, one of Mark's themes is the theme of enlightened unbelief. Meaning those who have heard, those who have had the, the way of life explained to them, and yet they refuse to believe. It's a theme of Mark that they've heard, they've understood what was said, but yet they refuse to yield. They refuse to believe it. Now, verse 12. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. That's the message. That people should repent. The word there, metanoia, to change one's mind, to change one's attitudes, to change one's desires, to change one's path in life, to make a completely different change in life. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Verse 13, they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Verse 30, skipping down to the other piece of bread on the sandwich, the apostles returned to Jesus and told Him all that they had done and all that they had taught. So just real quickly, just a few words... We could say much more about this, but we have a time deadline uh, upon us because we got the funeral that's following the service. So I just want to say just a few words about the idea of anointing with oil. They anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So this anointing of oil, you may or may not be surprised to, to learn that this is the only place in Scripture where anointing with oil is connected directly with the healing of the sick. And you might say, wait a minute, hang on, James chapter 5. And here's where if we had another 20 minutes or 25 minutes, I, w- I would love to go through James chapter 5. And I think the text shows us plainly that what's in view there is not a physical healing. What's in view is a spiritual healing of those who are in the process, so to speak, or teetering on the brink of falling away into unbelief. That's what James is talking about in James chapter 5. I think that's fairly plain. But Even if that's the case, this is the only instance in all the Bible in which there's a clear connection between an anointing with oil and a physical healing that takes place. And that might surprise people because there are many who take a place, a lot of stock and a lot of value in the whole anointing with oil kind of thing. So it might be a surprise to some to find that this is really not very explicitly uh, taught in the scriptures, this connection between anointing with oil and a physical healing. 
So what does anointing with oil mean? Why is it here? The anointing with oil, first of all, if we think about oil, kind of like the staff that we talked about earlier, there's staffs all over the place in Scripture. Same thing with oil. There's oil all over the place in Scripture. We find in Scripture oil is used for cosmetic purposes. It's uh, eaten with the food. It's used to uh, spice the food up, to cook food. It's burned for light. Uh, Oil is a symbol of grace in the Scripture. It's also a symbol of consecrating one for a position or a task or an office. It's connected together with giving of offerings. It's it's put on those uh, to prepare them for burial. People put it on their bodies after taking a bath. We read that in the scriptures. Also, it's a type of first aid, the the Good Samaritan who puts oil on the person that's been all beaten up. So we find all sorts of uses for oil in the scripture. But what we don't find, I think, is a clear and consistent connection between the practice of anointing with oil and something that the New Testament church is to practice today, which is why I don't make a practice of anointing with oil. In fact, I never have, and I don't intend to. So just to say this, you know, as I was early in my pastorate, I remember maybe the first year or something as I was a pastor, one of the people that I pastored gave me a little vial of of anointing oil, and he says, here, for when you need to anoint somebody with oil, I've never never used it and don't, don't intend to, because I don't think that the Scriptures are telling us that that's the normal way of praying over the sick for healing. So uh, the anointing with oil is something that at best is symbolic. And we see that in the passage. That as even as the disciples anointed with the sick with oil, it's plain in the passage that the oil didn't do the healing. It's plain and clear in the passage that the, that the oil was not the healing agent. It was God who was the healing agent. Because oil doesn't heal that way. Even if oil did bring about healing of wounds or some first aid sort of thing, it didn't do it instantaneously. So clearly in the passage, Mark is not saying that the oil itself, when the oil was put on, there was some sort of healing power in that oil. At best, it's a symbolic thing that was understood in that culture as being symbolic of perhaps the Holy Spirit or the power of God or or a healing uh, desire of God or something of that nature. So... It would be something that I would see best as as really not something the church is commanded to do. Not something that would necessarily be sinful, but something that's certainly not, I don't think, commanded of the church to do. But back to verse 13. Like I said, just a few words about anointing with oil. We could say much more. And they cast out many demons, and they anointed with oil many who were sick, and healed them. And the apostles, now in verse 30, they returned to Jesus and told them all that they had done and all that they had taught. So the final point for us to see is as they return, the whole point of this story, the whole point of Mark sandwiching together this story with the story of John the baptizer, is for us to clearly see that the success of their mission was not the success of all these villages believing and now following Jesus. Because that's the whole point of John the baptizer. The whole point of the story of John the baptizer being put right here is to say, this is what happens. More often than not, this is what happens to the seed scatterer. All 12 of these apostles, well, take Judas out of the mix, all 11 of the the remaining apostles, except for John the Apostle, will also have their life ended in a similar way as John the Baptizer. And so what we are to see here is their success in being sent out was simply their faithfulness. Jesus sent them with instructions. 
don't carry this. Don't carry this. Don't, don't go around choosing the best place to stay. Don't try to upgrade your accommodations. Trust in the one who sent you. Teach what I have taught. Do what I have done. I've given you the authority to do what I am doing. You're not to go to new places. You're not to teach new teachings. You are to do what I've shown you to do. And they go about that faithfully. And that was the success that they experienced. Not this type of huge revival that now took place in Israel. And now all kinds of people are believing in Jesus that didn't before. Instead, their success was simply their faithfulness and their trust. They're going about their task in the complete trust in the providence of the Lord. 